You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. him. Here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do, Lord? To spend time alone with him, to draw from him all that he's willing and offering you to have? Have you read through the book of Ephesians and saw everything you have in Jesus Christ and said, yes, I want more, Lord. Show me more. Maybe you haven't even accomplished the first step. You know what the first step is. To believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the first step. Today, you'll have the opportunity to step out in faith and follow Jesus. Pastor Dave will be sharing the journey Saul went on when he encountered the risen Savior, and he'll be inviting you to say yes to whatever this same Jesus has planned for you. It will take faith, but the adventure is waiting for you. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 9 as he continues his message, Saul of Tarsus meets his enemies. When you experience being born again, one of your first responses is to tell someone. One of your first responses is something as wonderful has happened to you, and you know that something wonderful happened to you, and what you want to do is you want to run and you want to tell somebody. It reminds me of Andrew when Andrew met Jesus Christ. When Andrew met Jesus Christ, the first thing he does is he runs to his brother Peter and says, you got to see this guy. Is he the Messiah? That's the way our hearts are when we receive Christ. We are so excited, and we want to tell somebody. We want to share this with her. There's a transformation that's taking place in our hearts. We have no idea what it is. We don't know what it's about, but we know we need to tell somebody about it. The burden of sin is taken away, and we are free, free at last. Praise God. The burden of sin is gone, and it feels like an anvil has been lifted from our hearts and our head. You want people to feel the same way. You want people to understand what you're going through and what's happened in your life. This happened to Saul. Remember, Saul was a student of the great rabbi Gamaliel. He knew the Old Testament prophecies. He probably could quote all 315 Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. And now he's standing before them with all this knowledge, and he's just letting it loose. He's just letting it out. He's just preaching. And they're like, wow, is this still this guy? This guy? Saul had a lot to say. And so do we when we've been touched by the master's hand. When you've been touched by the master's hand, you have a lot to say. You want somebody to listen. You need to tell somebody. You're looking for someone that you can share this with. But look at the main topic of Saul's preaching. He preached Christ. Nothing else. He preached Christ. Saul didn't preach himself. Look at me. Look what I did. I'm now born again. Aren't I great? No. He preached Christ. It wasn't about Saul. He didn't preach another gospel. He didn't preach. He preached Christ, and he was the Son of God. This is the central message of the gospel, yet we make it so difficult. We make it so, so difficult. Christ should be the central message of the church today. Every message should be centered around Jesus Christ. It's what the church should be teaching, what Christ has accomplished in us, not what man has done. We have these big, flowery, wonderful buildings and stuff like that, and people are preaching, look what I did. What? No, look what God did. 
Look what God did in your heart. Look what God did in your life. You have eternal life. Your sins have been forgiven. Why don't you dwell on that for a while? Later, as the Apostle Paul, he's going to write to the Corinthian believers, we preach Christ and Christ crucified in 1 Corinthians 1.23. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, he says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. That's the central message of the gospel. That is what we do here at Calvary Chapel. We preach Jesus, Jesus, and only Jesus. It's the message for the ages. We're not preaching another gospel. It's not a watered-down, slap-on-the-back, make-you-feel-good gospel. The gospel, if it hurts, it's supposed to. If the gospel reveals sin, ouch, it's supposed to. We're talking about repentance, we're supposed to. We're talking about hell, we're supposed to. That's the gospel message. Jesus Christ, the righteous, came to save sinners, of which I am the worst. Praise God. That's the gospel. That's what he's teaching. And that was Paul's thing. He's only teaching Christ, and Christ alone can bring life to our dead lives. Our lives are dead. We were dead in Christ, but God raised us with him. It's a simple message of salvation through faith, but we complicate it. We complicate it. Most of all, we complicate it by works. This Jesus is great, but you got to do this. No, you don't. You do not. It's Jesus Christ and only him. It's interesting that Saul's ministry began in Damascus because right there where he received salvation, immediately he begins to preach Christ. Every new convert's witness should start right where they are. I'll witness when I get over to these places. I'll witness. No, no, you witness right where you are. You witness right in the place you are right now, where God has you right now. That's where the witness takes place. Don't wait until you're someplace else. Don't wait until you're before somebody. Your witness starts right now. If it's your life, fine. If it's your mouth, fine. Open it up and let it go. Look at the response that Saul sees from his former friends, his former worship companions, his own blood brethren, the Jews, in verse 21. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called upon his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? As Paul preaches Christ and Christ crucified to his formal people, they begin to wonder what has happened. They become amazed at this new direction Paul has taken. This isn't Saul. This isn't this guy. I know this guy. He likes to rough up Christians. That's what we like about him. He likes to give those Christians what for. That's what we like about him. I'm sure when the Jews caught wind of Saul's coming at at Damascus, they must have been high-fiving. They must have been having a really good time. Oh, man, wait till he sees this. Wait till he sees this. I can't wait till Saul gets here. He's going to take care of those Christians. He's going to take care of them good. No surprise that I like to watch movies now then. And there's a movie out. It's been out for a million times. It's on TV all the time. It's called Heartbreak Ridge with Clint Eastwood. And in Heartbreak Ridge, he's a, he's a sergeant, and he's assigned to this recon group. And he gets to this recon group, and they're all living their own lifestyle, and they're all doing whatever they want to do. Well, Clint Eastwood, the sergeant, wants to get them back in line. He wants to get them back in line. And, but they have this one great big guy called Swede. And they can't wait till, till this guy meets Swede, because Swede is big, and he's going to take care, he's gonna take care of, of the sergeant. And they're going, Swede, Swede, Swede. That's what the Jews were doing when Saul was coming to town. They would probably stand there and see the, see the Christians and go, Saul, Saul, Saul. They were so excited that Saul was coming, they couldn't wait. Saul was going to come and take care of them. I can't wait. This is going to be so cool. But just like in the movie, when Swede came out, it was Clint Eastwood. I need I say more? 
And when Saul got to Damascus, it was Jesus. And I have to say no more to that either. It was Jesus that got a hold of him. Now, hearing him speak in the synagogue, all of a sudden their hearts are like, what? They become disappointed. Wait a minute. He's supposed to get up there and name them and call them by names and open up the letters and go, okay, here's the first one. Hey, we're going to take them out and we're going to have a great party. But you know, when Christ is preached to the Jews, it became a stumbling block. It became a stumbling block because that's what he said. He'll later write this in 1 Corinthians 1.23. But we preached Christ Jesus unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. When Saul preached Jews to these Jesus, they only saw Saul. They only saw the man that they thought they knew. They didn't see a change in him. They didn't see. They saw visibly Saul. They didn't see the change that had taken place in his heart. This wasn't a new man. This wasn't the guy that wanted to destroy the way. Now he's talking for the way. He's talking about this Jesus. Outwardly, Saul was the same. But inwardly, something had happened to his heart. Something that changed his life forever. And he would later explain that in the second letter that he wrote to the church of Corinth. You know the verse. You could probably quote it with me. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Saul was a new person. But he was new on the inside. Why? He had been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. His sins were forgiven. He had been given eternal life, and he was now alive in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing that happened to him. What a wonderful thing that happened. And when we accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice, when we become aware of our sin and we confess it, we become new. We become a new creature in Christ. We become new. Behold, all things are new. Just Not just several things, all things. Paul wanted to share what happened to him. He wanted to share the truth of what he had learned. He knew all this stuff, Bible stuff. Did you ever know somebody who knew all the stuff so biblically and they knew all this stuff, but they didn't have Christ? Oh, oh my gosh. But now, Paul, look at the confirmation here. Look at the transformation. Paul had all the Bible knowledge and now he had Christ. Wow. Now he could really put things together. When you become born again, when you became born again, people probably saw the same you. They probably saw the same you. When you were trying to preach this Christ, they didn't see this Christ in you. They only saw your outward appearance. They visibly can't see beside you. And they question, isn't that the same person who used to drink with us? Isn't this the same person who used to tell all these dirty jokes? Isn't it the same person? You know, they used to they say that thing because they, they can't understand the change in you. There is a difference in you, the way you act. But that's what the Jews observed in Saul. He wasn't the same man. He wasn't the same guy he was. And this must have confused the Jews all of more. One minute Saul was trying to chase all the Christians out of the synagogue, and the next minute he's standing there preaching Jesus as Christ. They're like, what? But doesn't this happen with our old friends? Our old friends, when we have them, when we turn to Christ, their confusion eventually turns to anger. Because you're not the same anymore. You're different. You don't want to partake of the same things that they want to partake in. You don't want to do the same things that the crowd want to do. And what do they end up doing? They end up casting you out. They end up making you make a decision. Christ or us? I'm sorry. Goodbye, guys. It's Christ. It's Christ. It's the same thing happened to Saul. Same thing happened. They were confused. But something interesting happens here, according to most scholars. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's really cool. Somewhere between verses 21 and 23, it's believed that Saul is removed to Arabia. It may be that it maybe got so hot by these Jews that he got out of town and went to Arabia first. Because listen to what Saul says about this in Galatians 1, verses 11 to 17. 
But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For if you heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I preached him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh or blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles but before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul says, I went to Arabia. Now, the scholars believe it happened between those verses right there. They believe it happened at that time. Luke doesn't mention it for some reason. Luke doesn't mention that, but Paul goes on to say that. And he sees, and then he returned to Damascus. Why did he go to Arabia? So the Lord could prepare him. So the Lord could prepare him to do the work that the Lord called him to do. I firmly believe that the Lord always calls the man first. And I believe that after the Lord calls him, then he prepares him in his way. The Lord had to take all that knowledge, all that traditions, all that Pharisee learning from Paul and turn it into the learning that he wanted him to have. Paul was prepared for effective service. How? He went to Arabia and he spent alone time with God. He spent alone time with God. You want to serve the Lord? Get alone with God. Get alone with God and make it a habit of getting alone with God. God may not ask you to seclude yourself for years and years and years or even months, but if you spend time alone with him, one-on-one, this is preparation for service to God. One-on-one time. We don't know how long it's going to take. After all, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was pretty good, thinking he was something. The Lord showed him he wasn't. He went into the desert and spent 40 more years in preparation for when God would use them. Here's the crazy thing. Saul is now in the same desert that Moses was. Saul is in the same desert, and it's believed that he even was at Mount Sinai. Can you imagine Saul's mind trying to wrap this around his head? Wow. Wow. We must remember that preparation for this ministry does not happen overnight. It usually takes some time. When you get up in the morning, unless you have a coffee maker set, and you have to set the coffee, it takes time to brew the coffee, right? It takes time for God to prepare you for his service. It takes time for God to make in you what you need to be. Our Lord is never in a hurry. He's never in a hurry with his preparation. Have you noticed that? But he is always right on time. He is always right on time. He is building us for an eternity. And sometimes we're benched. Sometimes our preparation is painful. But the rewards of being in service for him far outweigh the lonely times and the pain. In these times of waiting, times of struggle, times of pain and times of despair, I think that's when we grow the most. That's when we grow the most, and that's when the Lord reveals himself to us the most in the midst of those struggles. Look at verses 22 and 23 in Acts. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill them. Two things in there make them think that this is when it happened. Uh, He grew in strength, and after many days. Those are the things that the scholars think that that's when Saul went out to Arabia. But now Saul is strengthened in his, in his faith. He's been prepared by the Lord for the ministry, and he confounds the Jews, and he proves to them that Jesus is the Christ. The Jews are angry, and just because the mighty Saul had fallen doesn't mean we're going to stop the persecution towards this Jesus people. No. Satan is there to provoke the Jews into a rage. 
If you look at verse 21, they're amazed. And they're confounded in verse 23. But they're never converted, and they're never persuaded. Saul meets his new enemy, and it looks like the Jews at first. Saul, look, it looks like the Jews are his new enemy, but Paul would later write in Ephesians 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Saul knows who the real enemy is. Saul knows who the real enemy is to Christianity. Saul knows that his only strength he has is standing firm and strong in the Lord. You try to go it along, you're going to get eaten up. You need to stand firm in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's where our strength comes from. Saul knows this. It's not our power we stand firm in. It's Christ's power. The Jews, his own people, plotted to kill him for treason. Although the Jews plotted to kill Saul, and all the Jews would chase after him and chase after him and do horrible things to him. He loved them. And he wanted nothing more than them to come into the kingdom of God and to know Jesus. Because he's going to write in Romans 9, verse 3, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Paul loved his fellow countrymen so much that he's saying, I will give up my salvation for them. Yeah. Wow. Saul's ministry in Damascus met such resistance with the Jews, and in the league of the Arab government, hid at the gates in the ambush. Paul would later write in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 32 and 33, In Damascus, the governor, under Arias, the king, was guarding the city of Damascus with the garrison, desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. The great Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, born of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, concerning the law, blameless, the mighty hunter, coming to town on his high horse, full of pride, full of determination, eager to rid the nation from this way, is humiliated, is humiliated. He's deemed a failure by the nation Israel. He had to be lowered, lowered in a basket out of the side. Can you imagine this? I'm sure this is not quite what Paul had in mind when he was going to Damascus. I'm sure it wasn't what he had quite had in mind. Can you imagine? He wanted to come in in a triumphal entry. Have everybody go, ooh, Saul's here. Yay, Saul's here. Go, Saul. Here we go. And he wanted to leave as a conqueror, dragging behind him all these people in the way, in chains and fetters, pulling them towards Jerusalem. That's the way he thought he was going to. But how does he come into town? He comes into town blind and being led by people. He's helpless. He's helpless. He's broken. He has to be coming into town. And how does he leave? In a basket. He's lowered down by a basket. He's lowered down by a basket. Someone once said that God ruthlessly perfects those he royally elects. Let me read that again. God ruthlessly perfects those he royally elects. Saul's first missionary experience ended in what appeared to be failure. God's plan, though, is perfect. What appears to be failure to man is a wonderful success to the Lord. Wonderful sex to the Lord is all part of God's preparation. Sometimes our humiliating failures can become marvelous preparation for even greater service. Only if we let the Lord use them in that way. 
The Lord has started a mighty work in Saul of Tarsus. Later, that Saul, when he becomes Paul the apostle, would write to the Philippian church in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun the good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just like Saul of Tarsus, the Lord has started a mighty work in you. The Lord has started a mighty work in you. And being confident of this, he will finish that work. He will finish that work until the day of Jesus Christ. He will finish that work in you. That is where our confidence lies. Our confidence doesn't lie in what I can do for the Lord, how I can get the Lord to like me, how I can do this. No, the confidence lies in that the Lord started the work, and it's the Lord's work to accomplish, the Lord's work to finish, and in that I am confident and grateful. Let me leave you with this quote from Oswald Chambers. He says, we are partakers of Christ's suffering. Are we prepared for God to stamp out our personal ambitions? Are we prepared for God to destroy our individual decisions by supernaturally transforming them? It will mean not knowing why God is taking us that way, because knowing would make us spiritually proud. We never realize at the time that God is putting us through, we go through it more or less without understanding. Then suddenly we come to a place of enlightenment and realize, God has strengthened me, and I didn't even know it. Lord, working in your heart today, has he called you? Have you answered him? Here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do, Lord? Have you spent time alone with him to draw from him all that he's willing and offering you to have? Have you read through the book of Ephesians and saw everything you have in Jesus Christ and said, yes, I want more, Lord. Show me more. Maybe you haven't even accomplished the first step. You know what the first step is. To believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the first step. Always comes back to that. Without that, I'm just speaking mush. And your ears are clogged because you haven't opened them. Just like the scales on Paul's eyes, you have clogs in your ears because you haven't accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You want those ears to be unclogged? Accept the sacrifice today. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's God's promise. That's God's promise. Have you done that today? If not, I beseech you to do it now. To do it while there's still time. To do it because God's calling you to a place like this. He has called you, and he will strengthen you, and he will give you the words to say when you don't even know what to say. Call upon his name, Jesus, the only one who gives eternal life, the only one who can promise you life everlasting. Call upon his name, because he knows yours, and he's calling your name today. He might not be saying, Saul, Saul, but put your name in those blanks. He's calling you today. Won't you respond? Won't you respond to him who as he calls you? you are when Jesus left earth following his resurrection, his followers weren't sure what was next. They had instructions from their Lord and Savior, but not much else. However, they chose to trust that what Jesus said was true and was going to change their lives. It did. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to minister to the world in ways they'd never have been able to do on their own. Is Jesus asking you to follow His instructions today? Maybe He's only given you a piece of the journey, or maybe He's asking you to wait. 
Take a cue today from the members of the early church. Trust Jesus to come through with his promises and change your life. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope. We'd like to hear from you and learn how we can be praying for you. So please give us a call. Our number is 609-884-5821. If you'd like to hear more messages from this series in the book of Acts, you'll find them at assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download. And we encourage you to share them with your friends and family. You can also receive a CD copy of today's message by calling us. Again, our number is 609-884-5821. That's all we have time for today. We're so glad we can share God's Word with you through this ministry. Pastor Dave will have more to share from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Acts. So we hope you'll join us again right here on A Sure Hope.